Welcome to the Granary Church podcast. We're happy you could join us. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church. Beautiful about generosity. I actually read on the BBC website yesterday. When you see a story like this on the BBC News website, it's about a man in America who recently passed away and at his funeral... His daughter had recently discovered that 10 years ago he was at the pharmacy and he said to the pharmacist, is there anyone who ever can't afford to buy their prescription? And she said, that often happens. It was a little town of about a 1,000 people. And so the next week he took down $100 and said, if someone can't afford to pay for their prescription, just use this. Just don't say where it comes from. Just say, this is a blessing from the Lord. And then he did that every month for the next 10 years. And nobody knew till he died that he'd given thousands of dollars to help people pay their, for their prescription. And it was only he and the pharmacist. And just before he died, his daughter, because he asked her to take the $100 down, who actually knew. Isn't that a beautiful story? And, uh, and everyone who received it was told, this is a blessing from the Lord. What a beautiful way of sharing the love of Jesus with people. And, as, and he, he didn't do it for his own glory. He did it so that others would be blessed. And I believe that's the heart that God wants to have for all of us. So, on that lovely story note, let's bring up Amazing John. The name like the Amazing John, I feel like I've got to do a card trick or something. Do you like a card trick? Good evening. Spread out tonight. So good to see you all. Oh my goodness, you're all the way around here. If you tend to creep around the other side into the middle while I'm speaking, that's perfectly fine and hopefully my neck will improve as we go through it. We're in a series um, um, in Acts called The Game Changer and The Game Changer is the Holy Spirit. So when the Holy Spirit comes on the early church, everything changes. When the Holy Spirit comes in your life, everything changes. And we've been kind of saying that it's really the acts of the Holy Spirit rather than the acts of the apostles. And that's true. I don't want to detract from that for one second. How can I dare detract from God, right? But tonight I want to uh, take a a slightly different angle with this whole acts of the apostles. Because while the Holy Spirit can do whatever he likes, however he likes, through whoever he likes, whenever he likes, it's absolutely true. If you look through the book of Acts, you'll find that he actually uses people. Surprise, surprise. He actually comes upon people and he speaks into people and through people and he uses people to do his extraordinary work and establish his kingdom. And so what I want to look at tonight is what does that look like in the, in the life of one particular, in one particular event? And it's going to come down, and I'm going to challenge you tonight because it's going to come down to a decision that you make. Now, all of you make decisions. No surprises there, right? You all make decisions. In fact, uh, I, I went to the source of all knowledge, which is Google, and Google said that we make 35,000 decisions a day. I pity the person had to count them, but I, I mean, that's like a decision every two and a half seconds or whatever it might be. That's, I, don't, I don't know whether I believe that or not. But we make those sorts of decisions. Now, whether they're including breathing, I don't think that counts because breathing's kind of reflex, isn't it? Like we just breathe in and breathe out. We don't have to think about that. Uh, unless you put your head underwater, then you might have a decision to make there. But generally, there's some reflex stuff that happens. And there's also decisions about what we eat. So, 
you know, if you get hungry, what do you do? You eat, but then you've got to decide, what am I going to eat? And you know as well as I do that we should either have steamed vegetables or pizza, right? So the pizzas, come on, be honest. The steamed vegetables, they're the losers, all right? <laughs> well, really what we do do is we tend to compromise and we go for a vegetarian pizza, don't we? Is that right? Or as one of my one of my kids when they order they order pizza and they go and they order a vegetarian pizza with meatballs. Figure that out. I currently figure it out. So we make decisions around what we might eat, whether it's good or bad, or who really cares. And if you're young, as much as us older ones. But then we make decisions around what we're going to wear. So a lot of you would have made spent ages deciding about what you'd wear to church tonight, right? Spent ages. Some of you, not so much. Let's look around the room. But I, I make decisions. Well, my decisions on what to wear are easy. I walk up in front of my wife and she says, are you really wearing that shirt with those pants? And there's the decision made for me. I don't even answer it. I turn around and get changed as I did tonight. So if this looks all right, you can blame her. All right. But there's, there's a really important decisions that we make in life. Decisions about what we're going to do with our life. Decisions about what kind of job are we going to do. And often it's about, you know, I'd play with Lego when I was a kid and I'm good at physics and math, so I choose engineering. Or maybe you like caring for people and so you, care, you choose nursing. Or maybe it's, uh, as my youngest kid said once, if, I, if he couldn't do what he wanted to do, he'd take on my, he's about 70, so I'll take, I'll take dad's job because he gets to tell people what to do. Preaching. <laughs> if you like to do that, don't go on a ministry. Um, <laughs> But we, we take our gifts and our abilities and our experiences and our passions and that's all very good and we go into school, into college, into university, into trades, into tech, whatever it might be, to learn the skills and understand what it means to be good at that particular job. That's a decision that we make. And according to Google, we change a lot of those decisions, which is why some of you have a massive hex debt. Because you finish uni, and that's happened to one of my kids, and they've got like 12 years of uni they've got to pay off. And, and so sometimes those decisions change. And the importance of that, of making a good decision, is that the decision you make will in turn make you. All right? We make the decisions, and then the decisions make us. I'll let you think about that for a second. We make decisions and then the decisions will make us. And then there's the really big ones like, who am I going to marry? We're going to have any kids if God blesses us with kids. How many kids are we going to have? Start at nine and work down, you know. Where are we going to live? That's a huge decision. In fact, we're going through that. My wife and I are going through that decision at the moment. Where are we going to live? And we've almost sold our house and people go, oh, where are you moving? We go, well, we don't know. Got no idea. Closer to here, hopefully, but we don't know where we're going to move to. It's a big decision, and it's a bigger decision as you get older, right? When we first bought a house, it was like we walked into John Cooley Real Estate, and we said, show us the cheapest house on your books. I'm not joking. Cheapest house in your book. And in those days, there's no internet, there's no nothing. You just turned the front page, and we went, sold. Because <laughs> it went from the cheapest to the dearest at the back. And we bought it, and we realised very quickly why it was the cheapest house in in the, in the whole book. But anyway, we bought it, still standing. But as you get to the 
pointy end of your life, you start to realise that those decisions become even more important because who knows, this might be the last place we get. And then there's the most important decision that you could possibly make with your life because it's just not for this life. It's for the next life as well. And you all know what I'm talking about. You've been in church world for a while. You know we're talking about the decision to make Jesus Christ the forgiver of your sin and the leader of your life. That's the most important decision you can possibly make. And maybe tonight you're here and you haven't made that decision. If you haven't, you're in a great place to make that decision. It's a, it's, this is the best place you can possibly be. And maybe tonight is the first time you'll say, well, I think it's time. It's time for me to make that decision. But I, want, I don't want to drill down into that tonight. I want to look at a particular decision that most people don't consciously make and yet we need to. There's a decision that you would half expect to go alongside your decision to follow Christ. And for some of you, that's probably happened. But it may not have happened. But it's a decision that will determine the trajectory of your life. It will determine what your life is about. It's a decision about who will actually rule and reign in your life. And that's a conscious decision we need to make. Now, that should go hand in hand, I think, with making decisions for Christ. But for me, it didn't. I just sort of became a follower of Jesus and that was great and it was fantastic and all was wonderful. But there came a time in life where God just went, You've got to make a decision. Who are you really following? Because here's what I do know about you, as I know about myself, is that God or somebody or something is yanking your chain and you're going in the direction of that. And I want to challenge you tonight. I want to encourage you tonight. I want to invite you tonight to actually make a decision as to who will rule and reign in your life. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love, your extraordinary love and grace in our lives. We thank you that you are speaking to us right now. We pray, I pray, that you'd open up all our hearts and minds, the ears of our heart to hear what you have to say. Because you, I believe, want to take all of us together and individually on an incredibly exciting journey that you have in store for us. We pray that in Jesus' precious name. Amen. About 38 years ago, um, I got married. And in a couple of weeks, we celebrate our 38th wedding anniversary. Thank you. <coughs> I know, some of you think it's amazing. How did he do it? How did my wife do it? Yeah. So, uh, so, but the reason I say that is because in our very first year of marriage, I was in a brand new church. It was her home church, but it was brand new to me. So it was brand new wife, brand new church, brand new community. Everything was new. But when I went there, there's a, whole, uh, a few people who knew me from my home church. And they knew that I was a muser and they thought, oh, well, maybe we could get him involved and and so on in the, in the music ministry, as they call it then. And I said, you know, give me a year to settle down and then I'll come on board. And they said, great, we've put you on the, on the organ roster. And I went, oh, goody. <laughs> I'd rather stick pins in my eyes than play organ. But anyway, I got on the organ roster and I started helping out a little bit. And then what I didn't, what I wasn't expecting was that God would take me on a journey into what he wanted me to do. Not so much what the church wanted me to do. And that's fine. It's great to do ministry and get involved. But what he, what he wanted me to do, and it was an area that I was not familiar with. It was an area of worship. He wanted me to lead 
worship in a way that was hopefully more engaging, where people can just tell Jesus how much they love him rather than sing number 375 in the blue book or whatever it was that we had. And some of you would know what I'm talking about. He, he wanted a deeper engagement. And the challenge for me is I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea how to lead worship. Some of you would know I had a speech problem and so I thought, how am I going to do this? And, and I was led and I was taught by the Holy Spirit. Now, I know that sounds a little strange, but that's that's what I had. I, I had no books to read. I had no videos to watch. There was no Hillsong at the time. There weren't, we still had tapes. We still had tapes, for goodness sake. And, and I, I just had no model to go by. And so I discovered later that that was happening in a number of churches around the place. So I was just one of a number of people where this move of the Spirit was just saying, let's see if we can get people engaged in worship. And so I remember having a go and standing up and my knees shaking and I led people in worship and over a period of years I saw some great fruit come out of that and uh, I learned heaps and made a lot of mistakes but God was gracious and I just sort of went on that journey with him and uh, helped lead people in the worship but after a few years one of the pastors came to me and he said "Um, listen it's not the direction we feel we need to go as a church so we're not going to ask you to lead worship anymore and I said to him do you think I've got a gift in music or worship? And he went, uh, no. And so <laughs> that, was, that was okay on one level because, ouch. And um, we actually, plow, my wife and I ploughed our, our lives into doing ministry with small groups. We had some, did some youth stuff and small groups. We had a, a, um, a fantastic, I miss it terribly. It was a street ministry where it went from our house and people went out in the street and they brought them back there. It was just great. So we, I enjoyed heaps of ministry, but in the back of my mind, I'm going, did I hear God right? Like, did he really want me to understand and lead worship in such a way that would help engage people? And I just questioned it, but we just kept on going and it was a great time. It was a fantastic church. It was just this funny thing that just sort of rattled in the back of my head. Blame it out if I didn't get a phone call from a mate of mine, an old skiing buddy that we used to go snow skiing together. And he said, uh, he was in my home church where I, where I grew up and he said, look, we're looking for a person to do some creative ministry in the church, day and a half a week, would you be interested? And I thought, oh, I don't really want to leave my church because I love the people and everything. And I thought, well, maybe this is God just saying, this is the next thing I want you to do. So we said yes, and you can still see the skid marks where they dragged me away from my home church because I loved it so much. But I started for three and a half years, I did ministry in that church. We saw some great things happen. It was a church about this size, um, a larger pastoral team. I had about 60, 70 musicians and singers and sound people and all that sort of stuff. Great team to work with. We did some wonderful things. But after about three and a half years, one of the pastors came to me and said, we love what you do, but we're not going to, by this time I was doing three days a week, we're not going to do um, or pay you to do it anymore. We're just, we want you to continue doing it. Um, but we won't pay you kind of thing. Um, so I said, uh, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> um, by this time I had two kids, my wife was pregnant, and, I'm, and I went in a meltdown. I just went in a meltdown. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And the senior pastor, a man who I really loved and really respected, the day he died, about two or three years ago, great guy, he came to me and he said, I love your heart, I know what you're trying to do, but I don't think there's a church in Australia that would want to employ you to do what you do. I went, okay. So again, again, 
in the back of my head, I'm going, did I, are you, are you following this? Did I hear God right? Was I following the leading of the Holy Spirit? And then I got a phone call. <laughs> Strangely enough, another phone call. A mate from the first church that I mentioned. He was planning a church up here in Lake Macquarie. And I said, where? He said, Lake Macquarie, it's just below Newcastle. I went, okay. He said, this is a little church with about, you know, 40 or 50 people. You fit them in the lounge room. And he said, they wanted to actually employ a worship pastor before they employed a senior pastor. But they didn't. But are you interested? And I said, well, what's involved? He said, we can support you for one day a week for 12 weeks. And after that, yeah, what an offer he couldn't refuse. I love this interaction. Yeah, come on, bring it. 12 weeks for one day a week. And it wasn't a lot of money. And, and we will rent a house for you in Wanji Wanji. And I said, where? I never heard of it. Right? Never heard of it. And so I said, this is going to take some considered prayer, right? But here's a church of a very, very, it's a church plant who wanted to worship. Like, why would you not want to be a part of that? So my wife and I prayed and I went, this is insane, darling. She goes, yeah, but I think it's right. I said, I think it's right too. And we went to some other friends because you don't make these decisions in a vacuum. All right. You don't make it in a vacuum. You, you go to people who you know hear from God and you, you know, ask them to pray and what, you know, what do you come up with? And I went to two mates who I trusted and I, they're still very, very close friends today. I trusted them with it and they went, yeah, we don't want to lose you because they're in Sydney. He said, but I think, it's, I think it's God. So we packed up our van for 12 weeks of work, one day a week, which meant I had to travel back to Sydney to finish theological study, which I'd started. And we packed up the van. I remember waving the van off from, uh, from our Loftus veranda and the back guard took down two metres of brick fence. And I went, really? And my dad went, no worry, I'll fix it. So anyway, we packed up our little yellow uh, Chimera with the two kids, a pregnant wife and a huge fish tank and off we went. And we moved to a house we never saw. We'd never seen previously, so until we moved, moving day... And I tell you that whole story because sometimes you can hear from the Holy Spirit and there's things that get in the way and there's people that get in the way and there's things that happen. You go, like, did I really hear God speak? Because here's what I'm going to promise you. If you decide tonight, if you haven't decided already, if you tonight decide to realign yourself and recalibrate your life around what God wants you to do. I'm telling you, I'm just warning you. He will take you in the places that you may have some gifts for, you may have some experience for, but you will be out of your depth. It could be dangerous. It could be anything, and you will not know what you're doing. You will not know what's happening. It's been my experience right through. I land in places where I just have no idea what I'm doing. And God will take you into that space. The Holy Spirit will lead you there. Because if you can do it all, who's going to get the glory? Yeah? You. If God isn't in it. And if he doesn't take you to a space that you go, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to lean on God then. You're just going to need him. And that happened right through the book of Acts. 
So the Holy Spirit comes on a whole bunch of really scared people who are locked in the room because they think, you know, um, the, the, the Sadducees and all the religious professionals are going to come and arrest us because these are the same people that arrested and crucified Jesus. So they're going to come and get us. So they lock the door and they're praying, they're praying, they're praying. Holy Spirit goes, falls on them. And all of a sudden they're in the worst place it can be, just about in the streets preaching. Why would you do that? I mean, you could be arrested, you could be killed, you could be thrown in jail. But that's where they were. What makes a person makes that, make that decision? But later in, in Acts 2, Acts 3, you see these apostles, Peter and John, they go to the temple, they heal a guy and they start preaching. And then the, the Sadducees, again, they arrest them. And two or three times they arrest them, they put them in jail, they have them flogged and they warn them, if you do this, they warn them, uh, warn them with death. They say, if you do this, you know, we'll kill you. We'll, we'll just take you out. So they, they warn them, then they set them free. Where do they go? Back in the temple preaching. What causes a person to make that decision at the risk of their life? Yes, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Yes, they'd seen the risen Christ, but they still had to do what the Holy Spirit told them to do. They still made that decision. What causes that decision? And how do you make that decision when the Holy Spirit says, this is what I want you to do. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. Apostle Paul had that experience right through his life. And I want to just sit with one single passage tonight. The Apostle Paul, for those who don't know who he was, he was a, he was a guy who tried to stamp out the church, tried to kill or imprison Christians. And if you haven't heard of him before, until he became one. And then he planted the churches he was trying to stamp out. He actually planted a whole lot around the Mediterranean Rim and, and into what we now understand and know as uh, Western Turkey today. And it's one of the Western Turkey churches, uh, a church called Ephesus, that he was meeting with. He was meeting with the eldership. He'd planted the church. He'd appointed elders and people to care and look after the church. And he's having this conversation and wants to see these elders because he says, I will never, ever see you again. Big statement to make, isn't it? Imagine someone saying that to you. Imagine one of, the, one of your friends saying, I just want to say goodbye because I'm never going to see you again. I'm going to a place, I'm going to Jerusalem where I'm going to be in a lot of trouble and I may not even live through it, right? And I will not see you again. And of course, they tried to stop him. They tried to talk him out of it. But I want to pick up that whole, that whole story um, because... Paul says this in Acts 20, if you're following along. Acts 20, he says, And now, compelled by the Spirit. So he's speaking to the Ephesian elders. He says, Now, compelled by the Spirit. Now, the, the word compelled is basically this idea of being shackled to the Spirit. He was so compelled. He was so shackled. He was so tied into what the Spirit was doing. He said, Wherever the Spirit goes, I'm going as well. It's like the spirit moves, I'm shackled to the spirit, I'm going that, oh gee, there's a ledge there. I'm going that direction. I'm going in that direction. And it says, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I certainly relate to that. I'm going to Jerusalem and I don't know what's going to happen to me there. But he does know at least one thing because the spirits warn him. He says, I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. He doesn't know what's literally going to happen, but he knows it's going to be tough. He knows that he's probably going to end up in prison. If you read forward, you'll find that he does have a big problem when he gets into Jerusalem. 
So what do you do when you know that that's going to happen, but the Holy Spirit's, you're shackled to the Holy Spirit and you're going in that direction? How do you make that decision? In fact, what would your friends say? Or what would you say as a friend to someone who says, I think God's called me to do this. This happened to a young guy I used to mentor and, he's, and uh, he said, I think God's calling me to Turkey to do ministry in Turkey. And he and his wife have now been in Turkey about 12 years. And they have a church that fits in their lounge room. There's two churches that fit in their lounge room in the whole of this city of millions and millions and millions of people. And they're reaching people one life at a time for Jesus. What would you say to your son or to your daughter or to your friend who told you that they're going to a dangerous place but God's calling me? Chances are you might try and stop him. I mean, that's what Peter tried to do to Jesus. Jesus told the disciples, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, a bit like Paul. I'm off to Jer- Everything happens in Jerusalem, right? I'm going to Jerusalem, and he says, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be flogged. I'm going to be, I'm going to be killed, and then I'm going to rise again from the dead. And then Peter, the apostle Peter, comes up with the greatest oxymoron in history. He says, never Lord. You cannot put those two words together. You can't consciously call Jesus Lord and then say never to him. You can't consciously call Jesus Lord and never say never to him, ever say never to him. Now I'm getting confused. You just can't do it. Have you done it? I have. It's not pretty. So what was Jesus' response to one of his best friends, Peter? He said, um, Get behind me, Satan. Nice. Get behind me, Satan. And he said, you are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but that of man. In other words, when people get in the way of that, they have an earthly mindset, especially when God calls you. You do not have in mind the things of God. You have in mind the things of man. And that should be a little picture into what God is calling us to, have in mind the things of God. So how do you think you make a decision to actually go, like Paul did, to Jerusalem, knowing, knowing, knowing that he was going to have a whole lot of problems? I think there's a hint in this verse. And when I read this verse, and this is a, this is a verse that shaped my ministry shaped my heart. Uh, it shaped me completely in what God had called me to do. And I'm, when you read it, uh, when I read it out to you, just believe me, I have not done this well. I have not done this well. I have done little bits of it, but it stands as like the stake in the ground that God constantly recalibrates my life around. And this is what Paul said, and it gives us a little insight into why he could do what he did. He said this, however, in other words, despite all this stuff that's about to happen, I know it's going to happen. He says, despite that, I consider my life worth nothing to me. I consider my life worth nothing to me. Now, he's not saying I consider my life worth nothing because that's completely wrong. That's completely contrary. I mean, why would Jesus die on the cross if we were worth nothing? We are, I mean, our worth to God is beyond our imagination, right? But he says, my life to me is worth, it's worth nothing to me. And then he continues, he says, if only I might, come, might finish the race 
and complete the task. What is the task that he's got to complete? The task is testifying to the gospel of God's grace. In other words, I can, I can be at the top of a tree in absolutely everything I do and die being at the top of the tree, but if I have not fulfilled God's call in my life, it's, it's just not worth anything to me. And that's a decision. In fact, that's a pre-decision that Paul has made, I believe, which enables every other decision to flow from it. And this is a pre-decision that I'm going to invite you to make tonight that will help you make decisions as you go through life about what is your next step. What, like, like what is God calling you to do and can I do it and will I do it? When I saw that, I went, that's it. That's my life first. That's really, that's really what it's all about. I just, I just want to see my, my life in whatever way, shape or form I just want to bring glory to God. I want to make sure that I finish the race and complete that task he's given to me. That's it. And we might do it through all the different array of job situations and, and wherever you live and what, all those sorts of other decisions you've made. It can be done right through all those decisions, but right at the very top, very, at the very point is, am I completing the task that God has given me? And the single task that we all have in common all of us have this in common, is testifying to the gospel of his grace, full stop. Paul might have put it like this. Jesus is everything and everything else is nothing. I love the way uh, author and pastor John Piper puts it. He said, my goal in life is not to stay alive. My goal in life is to stay on course. I'm not worried about staying alive. I just want to make sure that I do what God's called me to do. And that's pretty much it. My question for you tonight, my invitation for you tonight is, I don't know where you're sitting with that because that's, we talk about making Jesus Lord and Saviour. That's church kind of speaking. Our church, so then we're making the Lord, the Lord of our lives and the Saviour saves us from our sins. I call it, that he forgives us and he leads us. And I think for me, when I made my decision, it was more about forgiveness. And I was rejoicing that, don't get me wrong. But leading me, for me, that happens every single day of my life. Jesus has not called us to do something that he hasn't done himself. He said, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for all of us. That's his call and then he says, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. In other words, the same purpose that God had for the life of Jesus, he puts on us. He said to his disciples, if you truly want to follow me, you should at once completely reject and disown your own life, and you must be willing to share my cross and experience it as your own, as you continually surrender to my ways. Have you made that pre-decision up front and say, I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live. The life I live in my body, I live by faith in the one who loves me and gave himself for me. Have you been able to say that? Have you been able to say, nothing matters unless I just finish my task that Jesus has called me to? The times in my life that I have done that have been scary and exciting. The times that I haven't done that have been 
at best wrong and at worst disastrous. I've heard the voice of God and I've gone with the voice of men and it was wrong, wrong, wrong. God's gracious. He gives you a new start and he calls us to a fresh start every single day. So right now, as the worship team comes up, I want to invite us all to just to think about it because Paul said, I consider. In other words, this is not an emotional decision. This is something when you weigh out what Christ has done for you on the cross and the kind of decision you want to make to follow him, to be ready to say whatever the Holy Spirit speaks into my life, yeah, I'll check it with people who I trust, I'll check it with my pastors or whatever, yes, I'll do that. That's the right thing to do. But am I willing in my own spirit? Have I said, have I died to my own, to myself, so that Christ can live in me? Now tonight, right now, I don't know how you want to do this, but it's all about posture. Um, If you're a follower of Jesus, you're positioned in him, but about posture is how your heart is towards him. If you want to stand, you can stand. If you want to kneel, you can kneel. If you want to put your hands out in front of you, that's what I like because I I, I like to do that because it's basically saying, I'm I'm holding on to nothing, Lord. I'm only holding on to nothing. That's what I like. You can do whatever you like, but it's about posture in your heart. And just now, I just want you to bow your heads. You kneel, you can stand, you can put your hands out, you can put your hands up, it doesn't matter. Whatever postures, postures you correctly in your life and in your heart before God right now. And I'm telling you, there is, there is no telling what God can do with a life that is fully committed to Him. I'm going to pray a prayer, and if you like this prayer, and you want to agree with it, just say, me too, Lord, that's what I want. So here it is, you don't have to say this out loud, here's the prayer. Heavenly Father, I don't know what the future holds, but I trust in you. You have been faithful through through generations. And you've been faithful to me. And I'm going to trust you with the next step. And so right now, for the first time, in a fresh way, I completely give my life again to you. I put all my aspirations to the side so that you are my one aspiration, so that I might finish the race and complete that task that is testifying to your goodness and your grace, and your mercy in my life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for listening to our Sunday podcast. If you enjoyed it, either subscribe or follow on the podcast app that you use to keep up to date on when our next Sunday podcast gets released. Have a safe and blessed week.